Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, it's like we always say, like, my relationship with God, is, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. You know, like, you can only, every person perceives it differently, I suppose. You know, it's up to the relationship they have with God. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. You can have an understanding or a concept, but I don't think you can have a real one-on-one relationship. I that we have personal relationship with I think wacky is too strong of a word, but I think that there are, there are people who believe that, that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning, that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. Some people may say, you know, you're crazy for saying you heard a voice, but I, I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And the proof is in the pudding. I'm, I've, I've, I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, we'll never get to know him exhaustively. I think he's so complicated that we'll never know all of who he is. I don't really believe in a a higher source of love, you know, coming from God or anything like that. Um, I think it's just something everybody has uh, the capability to love within themselves. I've found peace in my relationship with God because he's the only stable relationship that you'll have because humans can come and go. It's kind of like silly to me, like Santa Claus, if you think of it as a person that you could personally get to know. So I think, I think you, you, if, you're, if you're looking to know God as, an, as, a, as a person, like to look at it as if I'm speaking to another being, another person, I think that's a, that may be a stretch. I mean, people, if they believe that, that's fine. I mean, for me, that's not the way I view the existence of this higher power. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing willing to go there. Good morning. Hey, before we start our next uh, lesson in the series "Explore God" that the city's doing together, I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, open your bulletins, and you'll see on uh, the tear off there. There's a section for fasting and praying. We try to do this uh, once a year, if we remember. Uh, we're usually pretty good about it. Um, and what we're asking you to do is, uh, on the front side there, we're describing what fasting is, and we've modernized fasting. There's a couple things that happen when you fast. One is that it's supposed to um, uh, teach your body that your soul's in charge, so you, there's a discipline attached to it, and so you miss a few meals, for example, and your body's saying, I want more, and your soul says, I'm in charge. You know, I'll, I'll tell you when we're eating. Um, and then and we, sh- we have very various versions of that. And then the other thing, for me, honestly, what it does, it just reminds me to pray. There's nothing like a growling stomach to say, hey, oh, right, you should be praying right now. So what we're doing this year, let me tell you, first of all, uh, what we're asking you to do is at, for the church for the next week, okay, this next week going into October, we're asking everyone in the church to be fasting and praying for a few things. Now, fasting, and, fasting is we've... You can do a meal a day if you want. You can stop eating for the whole week. I know some people do that. Um, that's fine. We, we've created some kind of 
different alternatives. For example, the first one here, give up, unplug, give up like TV, Netflix, radio, just unplug Wi-Fi, right? If you have teenagers, do this. Because this is, this is hazing that's not illegal yet. And I, I can just hear heaven right now. What is going on in Austin? Why are these kids all pleading with God for something? Well, somebody unplugged their Wi-Fi. So that's how, that's how you can do it. That's whatever way is effective for you, those two, uh, those, those two things, right, that you're in charge of, of your body and, second of all, that reminds you to pray. But here are the things that I'm asking, uh, our leadership is asking you to pray for. And, and it comes down to this essential truth, that um, our pride and self-centeredness is what blocks us from hearing God's voice. Okay, let me say that again. It is our pride and self-centeredness that blocks us from hearing God's voice. And so we want you to be praying for these situations for you and for visitors and for guests and for the Explore God campaign, the whole thing, because the best thing you can do for a soul whose pride and self-centeredness is blocking words from the Lord is to pray for them. I've never been able to grasp this, but I, I, I know it's a supernatural spiritual experience, and I've been told by God that supernatural spiritual experiences can be enhanced by prayer. It's about all I know. I'm leaving it there. So I want you to pray for you on Monday that you can hear God's voice. And then for newcomers, and part of newcomers next week, we're going to have Cliff Connectly here, right? He's going to preach two services, and then he's going to have a question-answer time. And I, got, I must tell you, if people's, if people's souls are too proud and self-centered, they, they, it doesn't matter how many questions he answers. So we need to pray about that. Our leaders, and this is our church leaders and our church and our ministries, those last three are for grace because this is one of the more important falls in the history of our church. Well, I'll explain, you, I'll explain that to you in, months, in weeks to come, in October uh, specifically, but would you please be praying for your church? This is, an, this is a critical month for us, um, and, and this, this Explore God series and the next couple series that we do going into January will be absolutely uh, you know, life transforming for many of the people that attend this church on a regular basis. Okay. So that's what we're asking everybody to get involved in. If you've never done a fast and pray prayer, it's a fun thing to do. You can make a game out of it. It's a good thing. It's a great spiritual discipline. Well, let's, let's look at our, um, explore God series. Now, if you don't mind, we'll look, we're asking the question that's before us now is, uh, can we have a personal relationship with God? This is the question that, you know, right. About 350 churches from, uh, South Austin to Georgetown are working their way through. And this question of can you know God personally is a great question. It actually is the question that the Bible answers. The entire story of the gospels, the, the gospel, not those four gospels, but the gospel, the good news is this story of you can have a relationship with God. That's why the Bible was written in the, in the very first in the very first place. Every theory has a story. You have, to, you have to be able to write a narrative about your worldview. And, and today, and especially in a town like Austin, you know, the modern narrative for many people is just is, is atheism. It's hard to find consistent atheists, but the atheist story is that there was nothing. And then it, and then it exploded. Nothing exploded, and everything was now in existence, including time and information. And then against all odds, everything got in perfect order to cause a universe to 
maintain itself. And then, against all odds, it was able to get in such perfect order that life could be created by accident. And then, against a series of physics and against a series of, of, of odds, that life actually got smarter because of, of many accidents over a lot of time to the point of, of a human experience where you get like Einstein's and Da Vinci's and Shakespeare's. And for no apparent reason, though we are only matter, we want more. We long for something outside the universe. And then the universe dies and it becomes cold, absolute cold and absolute blackness. And that's that story. That's the story consistently told. And the story of the Bible is not like that at all. The story of the Bible is a story that it's, it's the greatest story ever because it explains everything. This story explains everything. And, and it's, it's so pervasive that it's so many stories that we read, whether they're fairy tales or, or classics, they weave this storyline into theirs. And, I mean, you can, you can look at a cart before the horse, whichever you want, way you want to look at it. I mean, it is it's perplexing because it's as though this story was written on our souls, and now it just keeps showing up places. It keeps showing up in all, the, not all, but many of the stories that we have. It's the story of creation and then disintegration, and then a rescue, and then a a recreation. That's the story in the Bible, and that's the story we listen for. Those are the movies we like to see. Let's look at the outline. In the Bible, it starts with creation. The creation story is one where God made all things. The creation story in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 says that when God created something, he said, oh, he's talking to him, he goes, oh, that's good. That's good. And then the next day he made something and he said, oh, that's good. And when God says that's good, oh, it's good. And he made Adam and Eve so that they could have fellowship with each other and have a relationship with each other and have a relationship with God. And God said, oh, that's very good. I, I like this a lot. It, the focus on the original prototype of man was to be utterly and completely focusing outward. There was no pride. There was no self-centeredness. They were, they were designed to be self-forgetful. They didn't have concerns about themselves because they were looking out, never in. There were no mirrors, in other words. They Figuratively, they were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unknowing. And if you were to, you know, beam back in time and ask Adam and Eve the question that's before us today, right? Uh, can man have a personal relationship with God? They would say, wait, what? What kind of question is that? That's why there is something instead of nothing. That's why God made all things. We walk with him. We talk with him. He is part of our very existence. What would, here's a better question. How could one live without a personal relationship with God? What else would life be? We couldn't live. I wouldn't want to live without a personal relationship with God. Now, that creation story, that, just that first part, explains what we've talked about. See, how it's going to summarize our whole series together. It explains why we talked about does God exist that week we had a couple weeks ago when we looked at the evidence in science that would lead us to the belief that there had to be 
a, a divine maker that, put, that had a plan that was so exact and so precise that he would be a perfect planner, but he also had to have ultimate power because he made all things into existence. And so we looked at the data to show that, and it, and it made sense. The f- second week we were together, we asked the question, uh, does man have a purpose in life? Uh, it's called the argument for the soul or argument from desire. And, and where do we get that unless, unless there's something eternal that's part of our nature? Unless there's something about us that if we receive everything that this life offers, the world is not enough. In the James Bond, right? It's just not enough. Because we were made to have a relationship with God. Augustine said, uh, you, O you, Lord, have made my heart for you, and my heart is restless until it finds rest in you. That's, that's the story of creation. It's found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Unfortunately, when you turn your page, you find Genesis chapter 3. And that's where you find a fall. Chapter, the first movement of this play is Paradise, and the second movement is Paradise Lost. And, and the story is that, that Adam and Eve, mankind, they take from the tree and eat from it, from the, what's called the, the, tree of the, of the, the tree of truth and knowledge. And, and all that is not as important as what they were attempting to do. They wanted to be like God. When God makes things, there's an order, and then there's a place for everything in that order. And Adam and Eve said, we don't want to play our place. We want another place. We want a higher place. And because of that, paradise is shattered and wrecked, and, and immediate and devastating consequences enter into creation, and especially the relationship they have with God. In Genesis chapter 3, listen to how Disharmony now is the pervasive attribute between God and man and man and his wife. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden like they would any other day on the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked And so I hid myself. Now they're hiding. Shame enters, shame enters humanity. And now we're consumed with what we look like and we're in the self-protection. What the first words God says after Adam says, you know, here I was hiding, you know, because I heard you coming, because I was naked, God says, Who said you were naked? Oh. It's lost. You were thinking about you. I, I, didn't, I didn't make you think about you. And now, now we are all born into that. We all, we, I mean, our first breath is about us. We are always thinking about what's in this for me. We are bent towards playing a role that we were not made for. We want to be in the center of the universe or we want to make a universe centered around us. Either way, whichever works. And, and we're born to think selfishly and pridefully. And again, like I said, this blocks us from communicating with God and, and it disrupts conversations with other people. It's the way we're made. Look, you don't have to teach a three-year-old, watch, Johnny, say mine, mine, mine. 
no, no, no. Betty say, no, 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 no. They, they'll do that. They've, they have that down. It's a little funny, a little side note. This is free. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the famous philosopher who believed that we were noble savages, that deep down we were good people, that we're innocent when we're born and leave the children alone. Let, don't let the corporations raise them until he had children, and then he gave them up for adoption. <laughs> it's all great while you're writing papers. Um, now, listen, here's the problem, and you need, this is fundamental to understanding the story. Here's the problem. You're in the hospital, your, your, your soul is in the hospital, and it's, let's just pretend, the heart. It doesn't need like a bypass. It, it doesn't need a defibrillator or a pacemaker. It needs another heart from somewhere else. You can't fix this. You're, you've seen pictures probably, there's some floods. You're that person that's stuck, stuck up at the top of an oak tree. You're not swimming out of this one, okay? We're going to use a fire truck with a hook and ladder, but probably we're going to bring in a rescue helicopter. You're not safe here. You will die, and you can't do anything about it. When we talk about the curse of paradise, that's what we're referring to. You can't fix this. Now, God is kind of trapped, and we're kind of trapped. God is trapped that his justice will not permit him to let, just turn a blind eye and let this go. Because all of creation will will scream out and say, you're not a just God and you can't do, you can't be a non-just God. Now, the heart of God is grieved, but the justice of God can't give it a pass. Now, again, this story explains why when we went over the problem of evil together, remember, God didn't make evil. Evil, as a matter of fact, is not something that's made. Because if it's something made, then God would have to make it, and God would have to have evil within himself to have the capability of imparting that. Okay, that's kind of up there. But point is, evil is not something. It's the, it's the corruption of something good. God can only make good things because he's only good. And so evil is like rust is to metal, is like cancer is to a healthy brain cell. It's not something, it's the contamination of something good. God didn't make evil, and we brought evil upon ourselves. So now we have to live with this. The review is that we were made for paradise to be completely focused outside of ourselves, to enjoy the presence of God and enjoy the presence of other people. We fell, and that cost a lot, and we have bills to pay. And again... God is stuck in his justice. And he can't let us go. He is living with his, his love for us and, can't, and has to do something about it. Doesn't have to, but he'd like to. Now, that leads us to the next point, and that is the rescue. Now, again, we're stuck. God's stuck in his justice love dilemma. We're stuck. We want to pursue God, but when we get even close to him, we're like moths to a light. It burns us. Okay. The closer we get to God, the more we're hurt by him. Okay? C.S. Lewis puts this, this perplex, perplexing place we're in like this. Look, listen to what he said. He said, we cannot live without God, but we cannot live with God. God is the only comfort. He is also our supreme terror. The thing we need the most, the thing we most want to get away from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemy. Some people talk about meeting a gaze upon his absolute holiness, and that would be fun. 
These people need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. God is either the, the great safety or the greatest danger, according to the way, of course, we react to him. And we have reacted the wrong way. We have rebelled against him. Again, listen, let me just review. Here's the problem. We are in a life support system situation where we need a new heart, not a pacemaker. Something from outside, not something from within. We're stuck in a tree and we can't swim home. And so God sends these clues that says, I will save you from outside. Okay. It will be a gift and your rescue will be a miracle. And that's the story of the Bible. So one of the major characters you probably know of is Abraham. He comes to Abraham and says, look, I'm going to send a rescuer. It will be one of your descendants. And Abraham says, I have no descendants. I'm 75. My wife is sterile. We're not having children. God comes back to him later and says, no, I'm going to promise you again. And Abraham believed that promise, that it would be a gift and it would be a miracle. And that, that's what saved him, just believing the promise. And he had a son, but the son was a miracle. His son was a gift because it has to be from outside. It has to be from other. It has to be a miracle. That's the situation. We're in. So that's a clue to things to come, that one of those descendants would be the rescuer. In the story of Moses, you know the story of Moses, Exodus, right? Egypt, all that, ten plagues. What's the ten plagues about? Hey, Egypt, you can't fight your way out of this. What are you going to do, throw bricks? You can't get your way out of this. I will rescue you. It will be a miracle. Your salvation will be a gift. Let me make sure you get this. I want you to go get an innocent lamb, slaughter it. It has to be perfect. Slaughter it. Take its blood. Put it over the doorpost. It'll drop. The blood will drop there. And on each side, it's a clue. You might see later on blood here and here and here and here. Look for it. And if you put these blood markings of an innocent lamb on your door, these four points here, then my judgment will pass over that house. It'll be a miracle. It'll be a gift from me. And that's just what happened. And every year at Passover, they recreate that scene so that... They would know that their soul is in this place where they can't help themselves. They need a gift from God that's miraculous. And then Jesus comes. (laughs) Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. He's kind of a miracle baby, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's a gift from God and a miracle. And he is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The theme of this part is John 3.16. You see it at football games all the time. For God so loved the world, that's his motive, that he had to deal with justice. And so he gave his only begotten son to us that whoever would believe in him, that promise, they would have eternal life. That's the, that's the meat of that whole story. That's the theme of it. That's the big idea. That's the punchline. That goes under the banner on the poster in the movie hall. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life by a gift. The rescue was a miracle. His, his, his whole death, the whole, the whole story, if you look at it like a story, it's fascinating. It's a bit of a Trojan horse story, right? How do you defeat 
the enemy. In the Trojan horse, you go to the enemy and have him bring, bring you in. And so God sends his son, Jesus, to go to the pits of hell. And when he gets there, he announces, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Whoever believes in me will not perish even though he dies. If you believe in me, you can be set free today. And the resurrection, listen, the resurrection was just showing off. Well, it's more than showing off, but there's some special effects here. Okay? It's, a lot of this is just showing off because he's, he, comes, he, he, he defeats death and death says, and the devil says, you can't do that. And Jesus says, I just did. I'm the writer and the author. I can do what I want with this script. So there's, there's a huge appeal to power in his resurrection. The resurrection was also proof that everything that he said was true, that he would be the fulfillment of all those promises to Abraham and Moses and David and all those clues leading up to himself. He's proof of that. And I think the other reason there's a big resurrection is for guys like me and this other guy in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament named Thomas, doubting Thomas, because there's bad days. There's bad days where I wonder if the whole thing ever happened. And, he, and, and Jesus appeared to 5,000 people. And, men, and many of those were skeptics. They didn't want to believe. But there's something about when you touch him that makes you a true believer. And I, I believe those who truly touched him. That's the story where there's this creation and then this fall and this rescue from outside. And it explains why, listen, it explains why Jesus came. That's why Jesus, we didn't need another prophet to tell us what we weren't doing. Although Jesus served as a nice prophet. He had to do more than that. John Stott says this, the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where God deserves and God puts himself where we deserve. That's why Jesus came. That's, look at first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's a great verse to memorize. Look what it says. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us so that... So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So we're on that table and we don't need bypass surgery. We need heart transplant. We get his heart. We get the heart of Jesus. We're in a tree and stuck and it's Jesus that comes by. It's his helicopter that saves us. He had to come to be a sacrifice, to be a king that would die. Listen, that explains also why we spent so much time that first week on is the Bible reliable? Because this is the part of the story that it seems that very few people could could predict. All the religious systems in the world are all trying to get to heaven by earning their way to heaven. And, And the reason we have revelation from God, right? God says, this is the way it is, is because we would never believe this. We couldn't think of this on our own. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace that we've been saved. Grace is a gift. It is by a gift we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not by works that no one could boast. If that, those two verses weren't writ, weren't writ in holy Bible, in the holy, what would we do? We would keep, we would keep trying to pay God back. 
Grace transforms. It has the power of absolutely rearranging all of our motives. And and because of that, the power of the Spirit comes in us. And we can do all kinds of crazy, courageous things now. And we don't... It's not to pay him back. Look, let's pretend... Um, either one of the stories. Uh, you were rescued. You're in the tree, and you're rescued by one of these rescue helicopters. And what do you what do you do? I mean, you want you'd be grateful, wouldn't you? So you'd go to the fire station and you'd say, "Hey, men, ladies, I am so grateful that you saved my life. I I baked you some cookies, or I brought you some barbecue." And they're and I'm sure they'll acquiesce. But friends, if you brought cookies every day for your life, it doesn't pay for the cost of a toggle switch in one of those helicopters. When someone gives you their heart so you can live, you can't pay that back with helping ladies across the street. It doesn't work that way. It was never meant to work that way. It wasn't so that you would receive the gift, because if you worked to receive the gift, it's not a gift. Salvation is a miracle. The rescue was a gift. And when, a, when people grasp that, their souls are made new and pure. We get the righteousness of Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in, and now we have power and we can hear. Now, there's, there's a struggle with living life, you know, with the selfishness and the pride, which is what we spend most of our spiritual life trying to ask God to help with. But, I mean, that's... If, if, you, if you don't understand that, let me, let me just say, you know what, in your bulletin, there's a, a great... Sears on the back here, on the, on, on the bottom here in the middle, uh, toward, on the back page, there's a class called Discover and Foundations. And, and the reason I want to bring this up, first of all, is uh, there was a typo. It's at 915, not 11. Say that, 915. Say 915. Thank you. So these classes are to help you understand that you are not on a treadmill with God. You are under a Christmas tree unwrapping gifts for him, from him. Okay. The, the Discover talks about the promises of Jesus Christ, his uniqueness, the resurrection, forgiveness, the new life you get, and how to live with you know, your habits of sin. The Foundations class, is, it starts at 915 as well, and it talks about uh, the certainty of your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, about, again, sins binding on you, right? how you can live with other people more effectively, the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you very seriously consider going to this? If you guys are from a Catholic background and you haven't gone to CCD since you were 12, this is your class, okay? And there's no angry nuns teaching it, okay? This is, these are our best teachers. Teach this. No soap for the mouth. Um, <laughs> anybody else have that? No? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's review. We have creation, and then we have fall from paradise, paradise lost, and then, and then this rescue, and the rescue is a miracle. The gift is salvation. And then finally, we have the last thing, and that's closure. And they lived happily ever after. And they lived happily ever after. And every story has this, and our story is in, in the book of Revelation. We looked at that last week. Look at the relational emphasis that takes place in Revelation chapter 21. It's up on the screen. And I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God with man. God with man. He will dwell with man. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Can we, can we know God personally? That was the whole point of everything. 
And in the recreation of all things, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, and new earth, we will be restored to that. Okay? And that explains why we have this need for injustice to be made right, for the need for peace. We looked at that last week, and the, and the need for rewards to be given. All that happens in the culmination of, of the experience together when we live happily ever after. What is Christianity? Okay, Christianity is oftentimes considered the thing that would, it's the default. Well, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Muslim, I'm not an atheist. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm a Christian. That's not Christianity. Uh, a very popular form of Christianity is, oh, that's where I go to church sometimes. You know, most of the time if I'm going to go to church, it'll be at a Christian church, and that's how we help the poor out. That's not Christianity. Another version of Christianity goes like this. It goes, uh, I'm going to just... I'm going, to, I'm going to just do a lot of good things, you know, spiritually good things, and then God will like me. That's not Christianity. That's you trying to resuscitate a heart that's dead. It's trying, trying to swim home from a, from a flood. Christianity is this, okay? It is believing in the promises of God that things were so broken that it would take a miracle to save you, and the miracle would be a gift. And the gift would come in the form of a miracle baby that would become a man who was a king. And though he did not need to pay for your sins, he chose to. It is believing in that promise. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is it in a nutshell. The wage of sin, the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have bills to pay, friends, and we can't pay them. But the free gift of God, I told you, I told you, the rescue would be a miracle. The salvation would be a gift. And that's what that verse says. That's what Christianity is. It's when you give up walking one direction, whether you're trying to save yourself or not thinking you're that bad or some kind of religious system, to just stopping dead in your tracks, realizing you have no place in the presence of God unless he gifts you some sort of an account that makes things right. I would like for you to seriously consider today choosing Christianity as God describes it. I want you to choose to put your faith in this gift of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ only. I want you to see that it's a miracle to be rescued. It's not, all you do is take. All you do is say, I believe this to be true. That's what Christianity is. If you've been there and done that, I want you to think today of the joy of your salvation, that you would be overflowing with that joy as it affects the rest of your life. I'd like you to commemorate that, whether this is the first day that's ever happened or this is a day of remembrance for you. I would like for you to consider commemorating that event with the Lord's table. Would you just take this communion, let's prepare our hearts for that, let's... But would you take the communion today going, oh, what a story. Wow, that was scary, that middle part. And then Jesus came. Could this be the day that you realize that it is grace that transforms you and not by works? That's the story that's in the Bible. That's the answer to the question, can we have a personal relationship with God? (laughs) Yes, And he went to great measures to make sure that happens. Let's thank him. Lord Jesus, we are... um, There's no words. Um, 
uh, we're grateful. Uh, we're alive. We are alive in you because of your works. That you've solved this problem of uh, quenching the claims and the cries for justice by throwing yourself on that. And we are so grateful. Lord, help our souls grasp the power of receiving this gift of salvation, that this miracle of, of this miracle rescue, let, let it be the fire that drives us to reconcile relationships, to love our mates like we never thought possible, to, to be more courageous than we could imagine before. Let the spirit run wild in our souls because we are well because we are with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.